Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Next on the Platform podcast. Each week, I'm joined by an up-and-coming lifter to talk all things powerlifting. I want to quickly let you guys know about my coaching. I do some online beginner-to-intermediate level coaching. If you're interested, it is in the bio of my personal account. You're listening to Next on the Platform. Enjoy. The truth. Hey guys, welcome to episode 18 of Next on the Platform. This week, I'm joined by Rob Escalante. Uh, Rob competed on the weekend at Nationals, uh, some of you would have seen, so I thought, why not have him on? We'll have a, a quick chat about how everything went. How are you today, man? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Uh, I'll get you to introduce yourself, just for those of you who aren't familiar with Rob. Yeah, so um, as you said, my name is Rob Escalante. Uh, I'm currently a student at Texas A&M University. Um, you know, I'm pursuing next year my master's degree in motor neuroscience. Um, but besides that, all the student stuff, I compete in powerlifting, obviously. Uh, I compete for A&M, and I am also the uh, head coach of their team. So uh, that's that's pretty much it. So with the, I'm yeah. unfamiliar with like college powerlifting. So and I know there's been some people who like are on college teams and they're not like allowed to post their training and that sort of thing. Um, are you you're obviously involved with your uh, your college's powerlifting team, right? Yes. Yes. So how what is the system and like can you just walk me through it because I have like we don't have that over in Australia. Yeah. So um, regarding like us like like joining the team and stuff uh we hold tryouts at the beginning of every fall basically the beginning of each school year uh we'll hold tryouts and what we do is we accept applicants um powerlifting is a huge thing in texas uh it's a it's a high school sport here which is you know kind of insane for other people to hear even in the united states other people are like what the hell um but we'll accept applications and then we'll kind of skim through those uh, we'll see, you know, what the best ones are. And those are the people who we invite for the tryout. Um, and then that's all in-house in our facility. Uh, you know, we'll have the officers, our whole officer team, as well as me as a coach, uh, go out there, see them. They run through like two weeks of training. And then we just assess everything um, based on, you know, potential, coachability, their current strength, stuff like that. And we kind of pick and choose uh, who we want to take in for the year. So it's kind of like, because, uh, you know, I would have assumed it was like you would accept uh, based on like Wilkes and that sort of thing. But no, it's more about like um, almost how you'd pick like a sponsorship, like uh, like you said, coachability, like what sort of person they yeah, are. Yeah. So a lot of the kids that are coming in um, are freshmen. And so they may have not competed in a USAPL meet yet. So they may not have like an actual Wilkes. Um, they'll have, because the high school powerlifting is a completely different federation here. It's THSPA, which is Texas High School Powerlifting Association. Um, and so they might not even have like a, a meet under their belt under USAPL standards. And so we just kind of take them in, see how they respond to like criticism and stuff. And if they do well, plus they're strong, uh, we'll, we'll bring them in basically. That's but the some- coachability is kind of above everything else. We'll take someone that's, able to you know change stuff based on what i tell them and is weaker compared to somebody that you know is already strong but doesn't listen to me you know yeah yeah it's it, it that's it, it kind of like reminds me of like a a job interview i guess once you have your degree yeah everybody has the same degree if you if you have the same you know 
So it's like, yeah, absolutely. Who, who is the more employable person? And, and like you said, coachable, that's something, you know, I would love to see that over in Australia. Like you said, it's, it's huge in Texas. It, we, it's my best friends had never even heard of powerlifting until my first competition. So if that yeah. gives you an idea of how big it is here, I'd love to, you know, at some point have some sort of influence where I could um, get it into high schools or even into like universities because um, we only have, you know, bumper, pl- bumper plates at our university and, and, some rogue stuff but it's more for teaching rather than lifting and yeah I, I think i think a&m's rec facility is one of the most insane ones i've ever seen in my life mm. um if you look it up we have i think we have two different wrecks so we have our main wreck and then a like secondary wreck mm. which is first like kind of crazy um because i transferred into a&m i didn't go here initially um but I think in total we have somewhere around like 60 squat racks. Jesus, man. Yeah. So it's it's actually yeah. cuz like I'm I'm underestimating what you mean by huge. Like that is insane. I think my university yeah. has um it's like a you know room that four times maybe the size of this room that I'm in and maybe four squat racks. Um, yeah, our our rack has like a, a rock climbing wall and like seven basketball courts. It's I mean, but we have a school that caters to 65,000 students. So it, it, they're, they're trying to do the best for their population and they're really, really pulling through for us, which I I enjoy, especially as a kinesiology student. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think it's a great thing to have, like to encourage people, um, not, not always to powerlift, but like encourage people to, you know, use the facilities, use the gym, obviously, absolutely. Obviously exercise is a great, uh, thing for physical and mental health. Um, but on the cards is obviously your competition on the weekend. Yeah. Uh, and and most of you guys watching probably would have seen, you know, the live stream or some reposts. Um, Rob competed on what actually turned out to be both days, as far as I know. Um, yeah. So I want to know how Saturday went. And then I want to know how Sunday went after Saturday, because I can imagine. So I actually, I actually competed Friday and ah, then Saturday. Friday, Saturday. So I okay. competed, yeah, the, at uh, 83 Raw. And then the next day I decided to throw on some equipment um, and I competed in 93 division. So it, it, so, okay. You competed Friday raw and yeah. uh, how did that, well, before we talk about how that went, was the decision uh, to compete Saturday something that you knew that you were going to do or did you just literally decide to chuck on some equipment? Um, it was a discussion that was had, you know, months and months in the past uh you know depending on whether i was going to compete raw or equipped uh just once because a and m as a team and almost all of collegiate powerlifting uh one of the biggest you know divisions to win in collegiates is the men's equipped division or the women's equipped division on that side because that's all there was for so long i think up until 2016 there wasn't even a raw division at collegiates Mm. and so it's still very new and, you know, A&M has had a legacy of bringing home national championships. And so a couple of guys on the equip side came up to me and asked, you know, hey, you know, do you want to throw on some equipment, do a meet in December, try it out, um, and then decide and, and see if you want to compete on, you know, our side for, uh, for April. I was like, sure. I tried it out in December. It wasn't the biggest fan, um, but, you know, knowing what it takes to win a national championship, um, I decided to kind of put my body through the test and threw on some equipment, just kind of 
last day or last couple of days before um, the registration deadline. And, you know, I, I paid for two registrations and competed twice and, you know, placed twice and scored points twice for my team. That is, um, it's, you know, hard enough as it is to place on the first day in a national competition. That's already yeah. uh, a great feat. But um, I'd love to know uh, how you felt competing two days in a row because competing one day in a row uh, for me will knock me around for like three weeks uh, so what is it like a shit like I'm assuming you had a massive day Saturday long day probably you know w- w- way less calories than usual and then you got to get up uh, Saturday morning and do it again w- when you woke up were you like oh fuck like why did I sign up what were you how did you feel well originally after friday because i had a t- I, I mean i i finished seven for nine i didn't podium which was the goal um i only got one of my squats almost I, I mean i was risking bombing out on my third squat um and so i was coming off pretty pretty angry friday mm. i was i was pretty mad i tore my hand on that meme of a last pull <laughs> um and uh and I was, you know, sitting down with my parents and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to compete tomorrow, mm. you know, like I feel like garbage, all this kind of stuff. And I called my roommate, who's actually our, um, our super heavyweight. Mm. Uh, and I was like, Hey man, where are we in the standings for, you know, placement as a team? And he goes, well, you know, we're in a fight for second. We're pretty much, you know, we were beat for first, but we can still fight for second. And uh, I got off the phone with him and I was like, all right, I think I'm just going to like suck it up and compete next day. You know, I I didn't feel awful competing raw doesn't really make you feel that bad the next day. Uh, I think there was a a talking point brought up on the two white lights page uh, talking about how competition days should be easier than training days. Mm. And I I absolutely agree with it because I, I woke up the next day at six to go to the venue and I, I felt absolutely fine it, you know I felt a little bit sore here and there but it's not like I couldn't do anything and I also felt really good under a barbell mm. and so I was I was really grateful for all that uh, I um yeah I saw that post on two white lights and I I did agree I think I commented um my theory on that was that uh if you've had enough exposure to SBD or something similar like a squat heavy squat and bench day I think um and if you spend more time undershooting than you do overshooting during prep and if the peak is good enough then yeah absolutely um the competition should be easier than say your I mean honestly I felt better on competition hitting my thirds than I did um, when I did my last heavy SBD, which was hitting my openers. So, or yeah. slightly less. Yeah. So, it was like, honestly, when you know, got to last warm up, even though they were probably 30, 40 kilos apart, I still felt better on comp day than I did uh, on that last, you know, openers day. And I think it's a combination of um, obviously coaching and the program and, and how your coach writes the, the peak, um, but also like a mental thing as well. Um, yeah, I don't go yeah, in and I you... don't smash the hype for every single session. I save it, save it for four, five weeks, and then I can really use it on the on the on the uh, competition day. Yeah, yeah. Once you bring, when, if you're, I'm a guy that used to get hyped for every single lift. Uh, back my freshman year, I think I was you know hitting like nose torque and ammonia mm. for like singles at six, 
which is the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've kind of controlled that and, and I completely agree. You know, if you can control stimulus in certain training stimuli, uh, throughout your prep, mm-hmm. especially leading into that peak, you know, week, and then the taper week, uh, right after where you're just kind of like feeling it out, you know, you might hit openers might hit, you know, last warm up stuff like that. Um, then that last day or the, that, that, that competition day should be, you know, you should just be breezing through it. Cause in reality, you're really only taking nine lifts. Yeah. And I think yeah, one of the things is, is if you're getting hyped, like you just said, if you're getting hyped up for, let's say RP six, right. Um, and I'm going to try to word this properly. If you're going to get hyped up for an RP six lift, when you go on the day and your last opener is, I mean, sorry, your opener is seven and a half, maybe eight if you open a little heavier, maybe on bench. You mm-hmm. really, and I don't want to say can't, but I don't think a lot of people get hyped for their openers, right? Maybe on no. deads, maybe maybe on deads if you're really, you know, really feeling it. But let's say hypothetically, you get hyped up for singles at six during the off-season, singles at seven during prep. You get hyped up for that, right? Proper hyped up. When you go and hit your opener at that same RPE, slightly heavier, and you're not hyped up, it's a different stimulus. You're thinking, oh, I've done this weight before. I did this weight last week when I did my last SPD. But your approach is different because you didn't get hyped up. You've probably done a cut, et cetera, et cetera. And and, And I think instead of using that hype or prep, save it. It's like an extra little boost. It's like um yeah, it's absolutely. like some extra carbs essentially in your system, you know? Like it's yeah. it's something that you need to like it's like a power that you save up and use when it when you really need it. Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. So so how was Friday for you? I I saw uh, and we'll talk about your deadlift. I saw that third deadlift, but how yeah. was how and and almost bombing out on squats. How was that? Um nerve wracking. It was the first time that's ever happened in my powerlifting career. Mm. Um, not the first time I've gone one for three. I think that was back. The only other time I've done that was in 2017 at raw Nats, my first and only raw Nats that I've done. Mm. Um, and no, it was, it was super, super nerve wracking because the first one got called on depth, which, you know, there's a lot of talk about judging on the weekend stuff like that um and i could see possibly the first one being called on depth i I would give it to the judges you know i've cut reps in training um that's just something that i've done that i have to deal with when you get to the competition the second one i stunk a little bit more um i think i got one call for knees at the top and one call for depth and so i was like okay you know happens um I was a little bit more angry about that one than the previous. And then the third one, I just had to drill. I decided, Mm -hmm. you know, basically put my ass to the ground and hopefully get back up. And I, and I did. So, you know, we didn't bomb out. Um, But, you know, it was, it was super, super nerve wracking because I've never been put in that situation before. And it's frankly embarrassing if, you know, somebody bombs raw. Mm. I mean, dude, what, what was the attempt selection? Um, Because I'm trying to imagine what you went for, so you would have taken the same weight for first and second, yeah? No, I went. We bumped ten kilos. Okay, so you went up. Okay, so you just yeah. thought, you just thought like it was just a, you know unlucky. We'll yeah. hit the next one. Yeah, exactly. And so, then we get hit with the second one, and that's where the nerves start coming in because I'm like, I don't know if I can, you know, take whatever ten kilos under my best squat again. 
So yeah. what was it? Was it? Did you open around two twenty? I'm trying to. I opened two thirty five. Two thirty five. Okay. And then I went to two forty five, um, missed, and then just took two forty five again. We didn't want to risk anything. Okay. Awesome. Um, what did what did Nori say backstage? Was he was handling you? Yeah, yeah. He kept me super cool. He was he was you know there was no complaining on his side. Um, I think the only thing I can remember him saying to me and the only thing that necessarily mattered in the moment was, Hey, you've hit this, you know, a thousand times. Mm. What's one more, you know, just drill it into the bottom, you know, and when you get to the top, fully flex those quads, we don't want any, you know, soft knees, anything like that. And so, you know, he kept me super cool in the back and I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. Mm. So, so you, um, your squat, uh, PR prior to the meet day was was it two fifty five? Yeah, I've I've only gotten two fifty five in, in in a comp. I've hit two or I've hit five eighty five in training on pound plates. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't really count training PRs. Uh, if it's not in a comp, then it's it's kind of useless to me. Yeah, well, that's 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 true. I guess you can. Yeah, either because you know I um I'll still I'm still happy to take a a, a PR in in the gym but i mean at the yeah. end of the day you are right it doesn't really matter and nobody really cares until it's in yeah. competition and and certainly yeah. the records don't uh, care at all so um like personally <clears throat> the squat open is a huge thing for me like i'm usually pretty nervous i've only done three competitions um you go out and it's it's you know first time out in front of the crowd and and obviously your crowd was a national crowd so it was probably a little bit bigger than what i've competed in front of mm-hmm. um and, and we usually go like RPE six or seven on my opener, just just to smash some confidence, just so we can take a better second and third. Um, what were you? What was going through your head after missing the opener and then the second? Because I can I can imagine if that was me, I'd probably get in my own head a little bit too much and potentially psych myself out a little. Um, you know, missing the second i was obviously angry because i i definitely thought that i sank it but obviously the judges didn't think so and you have to deal with that um going backstage i was a little bit heated but again you know sean kept me cool he's you know just kind of like told me sit down you know you've literally hit this so many times like you're fine and and in my own head once he said that i was just like you're absolutely correct. Like there's, mm. there's no reason why I should be nervous to hit this. Mm. Uh, I'll, I've, I've done it in training multiple times. What's one more. Mm. And, you know, after I heard that, I was, I was completely cool. I was just mm. ready to go. I was dialed in. And, uh, you obviously weren't, uh, you know, you weren't in PR territory after what happened no, on the first and second. No. Um, how do you feel about, um, you're obviously further into your powerlifting journey than i am so uh obviously closer to your potential you so um you know not hitting a pr in competition uh i'm still really early on so i've been lucky enough to hit prs each comp uh, even if they were two and a half kilos whatever what is it like uh going in potentially knowing that you're not going to hit a pr and then like how did you feel warming up were you like uh you know don't really feel like I could PR today or was it still on the cards? It was, I think it was definitely still on the cards. I think our plan third was 260. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to take like a, a huge jump from 235 to 250. And then if 250 moved, then we were going to go to 260 or like 257 or just match. Mm-hmm. Um, 
being the fact that I took an entire prep off of pretty much raw training in the fall, uh, and then pretty much a month off after that, uh, because I hurt my back after that, um, equipped me, tried to hop in again too quickly and just kind of broke myself. Mm-hmm. Um, being all of that, you know, I wasn't too fixated on a PR. I was more fixated on my total. Yeah. I think a lot of younger lifters get caught up in each lift in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oh, I want a PR squat or I want, you know, a, a 315 pound bench or I want, you know, a, a 600 pound deadlift. And it's like, okay, you know, you can, you can want those things, but at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to place you and get you higher in rankings or put you on the podium is your total. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't put together the best day, you know, going eight for nine, nine for nine, then nobody's going to care about that 600 pound deadlift that you pulled on your third, because mm-hmm. guess what? You play sixth, not fifth. I think that's one of the things, and that's interesting that you, cause I haven't really heard that before. Um, but I do agree, and I think uh, it's probably better during prep to pay attention to individual PRs. So obviously, yeah. Um, if you, you know, let's say you start with a two thirty squat, you uh, that's your PR from before. You say, okay, I want to I want to squat two thirty five before competition. I want to you know hit a five kilo PR before. Then we'll see what you're doing competition. I think that's a good way to look at it, um, just so you don't sort of lose sight of what you're doing. And then I guess because competition is really hit or miss. It really is how you feel on the day, how you slept the night before. So many, like literally so many things that you can't control. Uh, Obviously sleep isn't one of them, but so many things you can't control can affect you on the day. So it's like, I'll just put together what I can. If, If your arch isn't there, if you're a little bit, you know, let's say hypothetical, thoracic is a little bit stiff, arch isn't there as much. And if you have to knock five kilos off your bench, 10 kilos, so you can hit your third deadlift. I, th- I think go for it. Like you got to yeah. really weigh up what you're doing in the moment. Is this RPE 11 bench third going to be worth potentially missing my third deadlift or yeah. losing confidence and that sort of thing. And I think prep, uh, you know, set individual goals for SPD and then comp, let's just, you know, put together, have a goal total, put together that total in whatever way that you can. Yeah. Um, and I want to just, uh, speak on what I said previously about hitting 600 pound deadlift and, you know, that's not going to put you on the podium. Um, what I'm referring to is, is people that are in the sport for a while and have been competing and maybe this is the, they're newer at being competitive. Um, I don't think I phrased that correctly. If you're, if it's your second meet, then you're just in it for the experience, man. Like go have fun. Um, you know, obviously take it seriously, but you know, let's hit those little goals that are going to keep you in the sport. But when it gets to the point where you're, you know, looking at placing at a national meet or looking at winning a national meet, PRs aren't the most important thing. What's the most important thing is putting up a total that nobody else is going to beat. If, if that includes PRs then great, but you know, if you only need two and a half keys, say your, your deadlift PR is 275 kilos and you know your your second was 270 mm. but you only need two and a half keys to lock in first don't do it why not why not yeah. take that two and a half key jump lock it in mm. and not worry about it anymore don't jump to 280 for that five kilo pr because who knows you might miss and then 
you know, you're sitting there in mm. second place with a silver medal in your hand. I uh, I was spectating a meet, and I won't use names, but I was spectating a meet, um, and a lifter had a chance to hit their goal total and threw it away to attempt their deadlift total. So they wanted a certain total. It was a big uh, 700. They ended up loading five kilos too much. So, you know, they loaded 705 kilos uh, with the third deadlift, missed it, ended it only up with like 695. So threw away the big 700 to try to hit whatever the deadlift was. I can't remember. Nothing significant. Like it wasn't a big, you know, it yeah. wasn't 270 or 300. It was just somewhere in between um, and ended up throwing it away because they, you know, got a little bit too confident on that third. And I think like, if you have a goal, man, like just take it. If you, if you can achieve your goal, I think it's safer, you know, to just yeah. take what, take yeah, what you worked for. Don't, don't try to don't almost throw it away because you think, Oh, I'm going to do better than my goal. It's like, man just you got it's awesome you got to what you wanted take it and be happy and and you know, if you have to leave some in the tank leave some in the tank come back harder next time i don't know that's if if yeah. i was if it came down to it and that was me i would be taking what i aimed for in the first place any day over risking risking it for slightly more yeah i think that's that's definitely something that that newer lifters as an experience they kind of understand um but with all of my clients it's something that i try to drill into them that you know we're fighting for a total. We're not fighting for individual lifts because individual lifts at the end of the day, um, yes, they build towards that total. But if you don't have the top total, if we don't put together a great eight for nine, nine for nine day, then, you know, you might be sitting there off the podium or, you know, fifth, fourth, third, second place. Exactly. Um, how, how did you end up uh, going on bench? Uh, bench was awesome. You know, I benched, I finally broke the 400 pound barrier uh at 83 that was that was awesome um i didn't have the you know surprisingly 402 at 83 is not the highest bench at that meet 483s uh my my friend uh antonino um he benched i think 200 keys whoa i think he's hit three kilos yeah i think he's hit in training 227 um which is absolutely insane the kid's strong as hell how old is this um I think he's like 21, 22. He's somewhere around my age. He's a, he's he's in college. How come I don't so know he's, his? He's how come I don't know age. his name? I feel like a two a two hundred kilo. Um, he's he flies under the radar. He doesn't post okay. a lot. Okay, I don't think he posted right. anything from prep. Um, okay, yeah. And so yeah, he 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 liked to fly under the radar, and then he showed up to meet mm. and kind of like blew everybody away with his bench. I uh, respect which is, that, which was nutty. Yeah, it's Sh- it's really Shane, cool to do. Sh- Shane Nutt did that as well. Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah. And I actually had a private convo with him. You know, I posted the clip about um, programming and stuff. He gave me a hand. He, he, he didn't even say the number that he hit in case I was recording it for Instagram. And and, that's, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, I, I am awesome. putting it up. So lucky you didn't say it or, you know, I would have come yeah. out well, for it. Well, it, it's cool. It really helped Shane out because, you know, um, Willis didn't know what he had in the tank and Shane went out there and blew a 340 kilo deadlift out of the water mm. like he looked like he had 15 20 kilos left in the tank was that, that a was, a was that like a conservative pull just to like safely secure that i think top spot? i think absolutely i think that's what that was is he he was just i think he had the lower lot number and so he was able to pull last nice. um and so he matched whatever willis had and he was a lighter lifter i think something like that mm. um but you know 
I'm not the greatest friends with Shane. You know, we know each other. We, we talk every once in a while. Um, but yeah, he, that was one of the, the fastest 340 kilo pulls I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. And he's it was, 90, it was he's insane. Like the, you know, he's um, a very light 93. I think he's only like 89 keys. Yeah. So he actually tr- probably trains under, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he just moved up from 83 from the yeah. past collegiates. Man, imagine so. when he gets to train at like 98. Nine, yeah, or 96, 96 97. Yeah, and he's then gonna be a beast. Drop it down. Yeah, man, he's got huge potential, especially with a, yeah. especially being a deadlift specialist. I feel like you have the advantage, and and like you just mentioned, if you're lower in the lot, let's just say, and there's always the memes about like the deadlift specialist coming back and winning, but it's not yeah. just a meme. It like it's literally true. You can you can be a lower lot number, um, just simply because your openers are heavier or whatever, and and you can just watch everyone else be like, okay, this is what I need to do. If you if you can go RP nine, you, you can. If you have to go RP eleven, you can do it too. It's like you know, yeah. it, it really works in your favor. Yeah. I uh, my pull has always been something that that's lagged behind in competition, and I had this conversation with Sean um, where I said, you know, obviously to be the best, you have to be good at all three. Mm. But to be the best, I think it's most important that you're good at deadlifting. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to win a meet on bench or squat. No. People, people don't win meets on subtotals. You know, some might just because they have a crazy bench or crazy squat. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's always that guy that's going to go in there and pull for the win. Um, and if you can't be that guy, uh, then, you know, good luck, mm. essentially. Yeah, I think um, just on average, you know, the average person has a bigger deadlift than they do squat. So yeah. based on averages, yeah. your deadlift is going to contribute more to your total than your squat did. And of course, bench is even less than a squat. So, I yeah. mean, except for Sean, you know, like it's, he's, yeah. he's a bit of an outlier, but um, yeah. So, and, and I'm trying to get my pull up as well. I think it's, you know, and just cause it's more fun. I feel like people, you know, prefer deadlifts over squats and potentially why most people have a bigger deadlift. I know, I know it's probably just um, an easier movement than the squat for most people. Yeah. Um, regardless of sumo of conventional, like the squat is quite a hard movement. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And, and deadlifts is always a lot more fun to watch on the day. Um, so you benched 402, which is about 175 kilos. No, it's 182, 182. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 182.5 kilos. So nice four plate bench. Um, Yeah. That was your third. Could you have gone a little bit heavier, or was that that was? Uh, I think I might have had two and a half keys, but what, not worth there's it. No point, there was no point in risking no it. Point. Yeah, well, that yeah. absolutely. Like I um and and I spoke about this with my coach. I my bench in my last comp was three reds, so I benched one seventy RP ten. Um, you know, I initially said I want to bench one one seventy five in competition. On the day, it just wasn't there. We took one seventy. Turned out that turned out that that was all that I had, and and I barely made my third deadlift. So I think like, um, bench to some people is like, oh, I'll just bench as much as I possibly can, and then we'll hit deadlifts after. Um, if you bench with an arch, like that shit can be so fatiguing. I it's something that I've talked to with uh, David Shelton before. I don't know if you're familiar with him, um, but me and him have talked about the fact that we prefer in an SBD if we can go squat deadlift, then bench, because if you think of how the body is in a bench, especially if you have a a super big arch, um, you will be in so much extension 
and then you have to go back into so much flexion. It's hard to go from flexion to extension to flexion again compared to just staying in flexion and then going to extension at the end of the session. Mm. Um, plus pulling right off your squats, you know, you're a little bit warmer. Uh, so it feels a little bit better. Is that something that you would carry through to the end of prep? Or did you, did you? No, like- I, I, don't, I don't think I ever did it in prep. I would deadlift first on my secondary days um, before I benched. Uh, but you know, I never did it on the actual prescribed SBD day. I try to keep it as specific as possible. Yeah. I was going to say, cause that would be an interesting thing to not do it how you did in competition, but you only do it in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I might, I might end up trying it out, uh, pulling a little bit fresher might be, might be nice. Mm. Uh, some, something that I can build on. Personally, like I, um, I usually deadlift Mondays, bench Tuesday, both primary days and during prep i said to my coach hey can we put bench on a monday uh because like you just mentioned going from and someone who has a lot of thoracic rounding in the deadlift uh quite a like great angle of flexion and you know you're really pulling you're stretching the upper back as to like the most that can be stretched right and then Mm -hmm. you want to go an arch and you're trying to shorten them to you know as as short as they can possibly go in that arch and i have a decent arch and and i was finding it really hard the next day so doing it monday tuesday and trying to bench the day after to go you know my my upper back is like like loose almost and and yeah try to tighten it to extend and it's just harder like it just wasn't there so i said hey can we swap it over uh and deadlifting then benching worked way better on the same day because although you have just done the exact same thing uh, flexion to extension the fatigue doesn't really have time to set in you don't sleep on it that sort of thing and obviously yeah. doms, doms yeah. are delayed so you know um and yeah it worked out great i'm gonna definitely try to do it again i think it's something that like you got to consider if, if your arch is feeling if your arch is really hit and miss like take a look at your training it, it might not be bench that's doing it it might be yeah deads or squ- you know even- there's there's a there's a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't realize going to training especially at the microcycle level where you're talking about day-to-day mm-hmm. um that you know coaches have to look at and and think about and be like okay you know this small little aspect is gonna you know throw off his bench on his primary day mm-hmm. so we're gonna do all we can to make sure that doesn't happen so switching days around like that is is absolutely necessary yeah Absolutely. So you um you took a big four oh two deadlifts and, and I'm sure some people saw uh your third. Um, yes. But how how were first and second and then we're going to first the- and second were good. Um so a week out I actually tore my hand. I tore one of the biggest calluses on my uh overhand hand. So my right hand is where I where I grip overhand. Yep. Um and so we ended up super gluing uh my hand <laughs> the day of so that we could have just a, a layer of protection underneath like a band-aid. Yeah. Um, and so on my first was fine on my second, it actually came up a little bit. And so we had to go in the back and, and super glue it and dry it really quick. Uh, just wave it in the air. And then it fully ripped everything ripped off uh, on my third, which is why my, my right hand was just kind of yeah. lagging down. Luckily, uh, my friend Aaron Cash actually sent me a, a picture of just my my me at lockout essentially or lockout if you want to yeah. call it that. Um, and he goes, "Damn, dude, that index is holding on for dear life. Mm. My index finger is just like the only thing that looked like it was holding on." Uh, so it was, that was that was super super funny. 
Yeah, well, that's actually how we got to do this episode because I'm watching the live yeah. stream. I'm watching, yeah. I'm watching Alex Sidor. I'm watching you and Arthur, and I'm watching all the guys lift. Uh, and then yours really stood out to me because, of course, your third attempt. And I'm like doing stuff in the background, whatever. Um, and then I like zone into your third, and I'm like, oh, okay, like, oh, bummer, you know, he's missed it, misses his third. Um, you know, no lockout because of grip. And then you turn around looking at Sean and you look disappointed. You look like, you yeah, I thought I missed it. I, yeah. I, I, in my head, I'm like, cause I've missed on, I've missed grip on thirds. I mean, it's, it's my kryptonite. Mm. You know, I, that's my thing. I miss grip on deadlifts. Mm. You know, it's the worst thing in the world, but so be it. It's what happens to me. Mm. And so I look at Sean and I'm like, huh? Well, the thing that happened to all of prep, yeah, you know, it happened again. in the meet. It happened again. Funny how that I works. I look at him and I and I show him my hand and you can see in the video, I, I'm like pushing my hand out to him. I'm like, ah, my callus, you know, not a lot we can do about it. And then he looks up and he sees two whites from the sides mm. and a red from the from the head. And he goes, you got it. And I just like jumped in his arms. Yeah. I was just like, oh my God. In the video, <laughs> like he, yeah, exactly. He saw it before you and you yeah. obviously thought you hadn't, he looked like he, you know, he looked like. We both thought that yeah. it was a bad lift. Like, I don't think anybody in that entire facility was like, oh yeah, that was blatantly a good call. Yeah. Well, I guess, like that, I guess you, and I couldn't hear the down call in the video, but I'm guessing you got a pretty generously fast down call. Very and generous. then and then they sort of counted because you did put the bar down, you didn't drop it, yeah. but you put it down. Uh, I can't remember if you controlled it to the ground 100%, but like I'm guessing you got it down, call, controlled it, and they were like, yeah, he held it. Like, well, the thing that Sean told me that I think is why the side judges gave me whites and the front judge gave me a red was my shoulders and my knees stayed locked out the entire time. And so my shoulders stayed back. Uh, what will happen a lot when people lose grip is in that arm, they'll slouch forward because they're trying to compensate. Yeah. Um, but what happened to me was I just kind of like kept myself locked out, you know, flex my hips fully extended, my knees fully extended um, and my shoulders back. And I think the side judges saw that they were paying more attention to that. And they were like, okay, he was fully locked out. You know, mm. that's a white light. Uh, I got a little bit lucky um with that but and then obviously the head judge was like dude you like didn't control that bar at all which i didn't you well know? I, yeah and i guess there's a difference between touching and controlling i can see like i can see how you got it i can see yeah. why they gave you the lights but then yeah. part of me is like how the hell I don't, did you get it and I, i'm in that same boat you yeah. know it's my lift and i'm like i i don't want to claim this mm. like this is this is really well, really dumb well, put it this but, way. If you were, let's say, hypothetically, you're competing for first and with someone else and they yeah. take their third day lift, you take that to beat them and you beat them because of that lift, you, how would you feel about it then? And, and how do you think other I, people would feel about it? I think my attitude towards that would be the same attitude that I had for my squats where, you know, so be it. You know, the judges, the judges are going to make calls there. You, they only see the lift one time and I'm, I'm a USAPL certified state ref. Um, and so I've been in that situation before mm. it, it's stressful. You see it once and then you have to make the call. Uh, and so a lot of, you know, judgment calls are made, you know, from time to time, 
that I've seen, you know, even at the national or even international level. Um, and, you know, you just kind of have to deal with the cards that are dealt. There's a lot of lifters that, you know, will look at judges and blame them. Uh, that's something that I've told myself that I refuse to do. There is a standard that is set at the national level, especially at the national level. And when you go to national meets, you are expected to hit that. And if you can't, then, and the judges don't agree that you did, then so be it. You didn't. I uh, think a lot of people complain about judging. And I saw that there was supposedly some sketchy calls at yeah. uh, Nats. But it's like, I think powerlifters think that poor judging and or refing is, uh, is like a specific thing in powerlifting. It, like it doesn't exist in, no, fo- it, in football. It's, 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 it's like, in every single dude, sport. And they and people feel targeted, like oh the judge, you know, didn't give me this call. It's like when someone plays a game of football, and and for whatever reason someone gets a red card or whatever. Do you don't do you think the rest of the team doesn't feel like targeted? It's like yeah, that one player might have got the penalty, but it's the rest of the team that suffers. And it's like yeah. you're not just because powerlifting is a single man sport, single man woman, obviously. Um, it doesn't mean that like. You know, it's not a personal thing. It's just judging yeah. affects you more in powerlifting because you, it's the only person that it can affect is you. Yeah, I, I, I promise you those judges don't even know your name. So how yeah. are they going to target you? It's like, what un- until you're at the national level where you're competing, you know, like Raw Nats or IPF Worlds, and it's like, okay, it's Russ or it's Sean yeah. or like it's Dennis Cornelius or, you yeah. know, Ray they're going to know who those are, but at these like smaller national meets, like, you know, collegiate nationals, or even like, I've seen people could be complaining. Like we have a military nationals where it's just like, uh, I think it's armed forces, police officers, EMTs and firefighters. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. And, and I've seen people complain there and I'm like, dude, they don't know who you are. Dude, How do you expect to be? Yeah. Well (laughs) that too, but, uh, how do you expect to be singled out if you know you've got 300 followers on instagram well even the opposite dude imagine like i think if people feel targeted it's almost like what's the reason that you feel targeted like are you an asshole are you not a nice person like if you are going to go out of your way to you know let's say someone misses a lift right the judging you know it was here or the here or there like 50 50 could have been yes or no could have been whites or reds it's like yeah. if you automatically assume the judges are out for you, you got to really think like why are the why would I think that about myself? And like you know, it just makes me think that these per- people have done stuff. They're not very nice, or there's you know, yeah, people know stuff about them. Because why would a judge target you? Why would a judge not want one of the top lifters to hit their list? Like we all love yeah. the sport. I don't. I'm not a judge, so I can't speak for them. But I don't think a judge has ever wanted anybody to miss a lift. No, because most no, judges, you, you have do, to, you have to go in old. with a blank mind. Yeah. yeah. They're super old. They're, so it's like, it's who? they don't even, they don't, I'm going to go on a limb and say most judges don't compete right now. At, at least at a national level, they're older. I've seen a lot of older judges. It's like, they're not your generation. They don't lift. They probably don't know your name. How could they, and how and why could they possibly be targeting you? and trying to like pick your lifts for red it's It's just it's just a poor mentality that's what it is like at the end of the day sorry for me mentality yeah it's it's a poor mentality and it's Mm. it's one that you know uh i i've told myself and i refuse to have and i've told you know people around me that like hey that's that's not what we do 
you know, you go to a national meet, you want to leave no question. Mm-hmm. You want to bury your squats because, you know, if you bury it, then there's no question that you hit depth. And so those judges have to give you that call. Yeah, I think like, and this is a bit of an obvious thing, but like just train so that it's undoubtedly whites. Exactly. If and, train- and that's something that I've I've done for myself, you know, this, I just got back to training this week. Um, and so I told myself from now on, there's no cutting a single rep. There yeah. should be no reason why I am high on any reps in training. Yeah, dude. So I like- don't care if it's the last rep of a three by nine. Mm. I should be syncing it to competition standard. Dude, one of the things I keep talking about more and more lately, I feel like I keep repeating myself. It's like the off season and training to, you know, comp lifts and accessory, training to a standard. And obviously yeah. there isn't a standard for accessories, but um, if you execute them with the same proficiency and the same uh, effort, it's going to pay off. And like exactly what you just said, if you are going to hold yourself to a standard all prep, you should be sweet come comp. I mean, for me, maybe in prep, I cut my bench pauses a little bit. Uh, and, and and it's only because when you're doing it, it feels like forever. I'm not intentionally yeah. pausing yeah. for half a second less than I should. And it was like, I scored it to depth. I don't need a mirror to see that I'm at depth. I can feel it. I do it without really trying. I can hit depth just because that's how my squat is. And you yeah. know, I've got my own issues with other stuff, but it's like with bench, yeah, my reps were probably a little bit fast, but on the day it's ben- it's bench. So you can actually hold it there until the judge tells you. It's not like squat where you can go back down and be like, oh, no, sorry, I, you know, I'll go and I'll go a bit deeper this time. It, you get one chance. Yeah. And so with bench, you can hold it. With squat, you don't have a chance to, you know, you, you can attempt the, the, the squat again, but you don't get the chance to listen to the judge saying, yeah, you're good now. You don't yeah. get a squat call. So yeah. I think if anything, bench is the one you can maybe get away with. And I'm not, I'm not encouraging it at all. Like I honestly thought I was pausing long enough in training and then I got a, you know, pretty good call at my comp and it was a pretty decent pause and it felt like, you know, 13 minutes, but, (laughs) um, and maybe it would have felt, you know, I haven't really trained long pauses as an accessory or anything like that. And maybe I could do that, but it's like, dude, it made it so much harder. It made it feel like forever. It made me grind out the third attempt. I mean, in hindsight, I'm just going to, you know, even count out loud if I have to next prep. Yeah. We'll get I think the biggest thing, I think the biggest thing that affected me for my bench was the hold at the top. That's something uh, that at least on my singles, I, I really, really had to start working on. Mm. Um, and the, really the only thing, cause I, I, you know, you're expected to be held a little bit longer in a comp than you are in training. I think anybody that's been in the sport long enough knows that it's done a couple competitions they know okay you get to a meet you're probably get somebody's going to be complaining because the press the press command is too long there's going to be one guy and so you know expect to have a longer press command um but something that you know is is a variable meet to meet is at the top because you know as a judge when you're at the top especially with these newer bench techniques that a lot of people are using where they keep their ass in the air until the bar is out Mm. and then they kind of hold it there and breathe in and then set it down. Well, those side refs can't tell the head ref to give the command until your butt is down. 
And so then they have to see that your butt, does, butt is down. They have to check everything else. And then they can put their arm down and tell that and, and let the head ref know that, yes, you can start. But then the head ref has to check everything also. Mm. And so all of that accumulated, you know, in training, you might just be getting out of the rack and immediately coming down. But when you get to a meet, you might be held there for, you know, five, six seconds, which feels like an eternity when you're having, you know, 95 or 100 or even 105% of your max on the, on bar. the bar dude yeah. now that you say that that makes me um think about mine and that's probably why i felt like i was there for so long is yeah. I, like you just said i am the you know bum up to get into my arch and then bum up so i can use my legs to stabilize and then you know when the bar's set i put my bum down and, and you just immediately go well yeah because in training yeah. dude in training I did especially the same thing. if you're getting handouts you can put your bum down faster because you don't have to yeah. work as hard to stabilize the bar the thing I think and I think this is what it is is that people think that they've had like a pretty stubborn bench press call but really it's just the start call is longer than not usual it makes the pause feel longer than usual and then it makes the lockout feel way harder than it usually is yeah and so it's not always the oh i'm just going to do longer pauses in training it could just be you're not holding the bar for long enough or um the judge had to double check that your elbows were locked out or you know whatever yeah. it is it's like you got to think about there's a few things it could be it could you know it, it's not just the press it could be the it could be the there's style. a hell of a lot of variables, especially in bench. I think bench is one of the like, there's there's so much stuff that could go wrong. Yeah. Um, so, absolutely. So how, uh, I didn't actually get the numbers off you. Your first, second, and third deadlift. Um, uh, I think I went 260. We we opened pretty conservative because we were going to take a big jump, and then we saw that my hand was a tearing a little bit, um, and so we went to 275 which was something that I've hit in training multiple times. And then it tore even more. Um, I think my goal third was 290, um, but we took 285 because, you know, that's what was there on the day. We didn't know if my hand was going to be able to hold or not, and it didn't. And so I'm really glad that that's what we took. Mm. Um, that was a 10 kilo PR for my deadlift. And so I walked away super happy, not even from the call, but more from, holy crap, I, I finally pulled, you know, a deadlift PR, which seems like years since I've done that. Mm. Um, well, I mean, it has dude, been. the attempt selection was obviously top notch and you can sort of expect that yeah. from someone like yeah. Sean because, you know, if you if he's, you had to take in that guy. 290, um, you know, obviously, and I don't mean obviously, but you probably wouldn't have held it the same oh, way. No, that you... it, was, it was very obvious. I don't think yeah. I would have gotten that lift no, at all so, if I yeah. went 290. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to sugarcoat it. I'm yeah. Fine. <laughs> no. Well, I just don't want to, cause you know, I don't know how it felt for you. Um, and and you know, maybe maybe you had an extra two and a half. If you know. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't too worried about it. Yeah. I, that was fine. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Um. And you know, so overall, you had a pretty, you know, pretty good day. Like you hit yeah. some PRs. You know, squat. Yeah. You can, what can you do? Like that's that shit happens. Um. Yeah. So you decide okay, I'm going to throw equipment on next day. Yeah. So, yeah. so run me through, like, just run me through that. Cause that to me is crazy. Like I didn't even consider, uh, training properly for like a whole eight days after my comp. So I obviously, as I said before, is to score points for the AM team. Um, because we have an equipped 93, 
but he I think he was uh, projected to place like third or fourth, um, and he ended up placing fifth. And so I, you know, stepped in and, and did what I had to do and secured second um, on, you know, almost an entirely raw day other than squat and bench on my third attempt. Mm. Um, but I think uh, Scott Dobbins, who's, you know, an IPF cat two ref, he's been an A&M powerlifting legend at this point. You know, he, I think he won two um, collegiate nationals with us, both team and uh, and an individual as well as going to IPF worlds multiple times. He's a, you know, USAPL team coach, like our, our national team coach. Uh, he goes out and helps with, with all them. He was handling me. And so I, I was in good hands, but he said it best when he was like equipped is like riding a bike. And, and that's what it is. You know, I, once I had the, that suit on and, and I had, you know, wraps on, I was like, Oh, okay. This is, I, I remember what to do now. Yeah. And you just kind of force yourself down to depth and then shoot yourself up because that's what the suit does for you. Mm. Um, and I was actually able to pull out a nine for nine day with zero red lights. Holy shit. That's unheard <laughs> yeah. of in equipped lifting. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was kind of absurd. Mm. Um, albeit I pulled raw and I pulled a very undershooted raw, uh, because of my hand, you know, we, we, put more super glue on it and, and put more band-aids on it. And I went out there and I just like palm gripped it like a monkey yeah. and like completely, you know, was making sure that there in no way was I going to lose grip on this. Yeah. I personally don't like the palm grip. I, I do. I, hate it. I, I not, you know, I'm probably in between, um, literally the bar is right on my calluses and I'm not sure yeah. how everyone else grips a bar. Um, but yeah, so in my third, I, I got, once it like got off the ground, I was like, holy shit, I didn't grab the bar properly. And luckily like I've got a pretty, I, I haven't had issues with grip. So like I essentially held it in my fingers. Um, yeah. but I mean, I've never used straps. I think that could be one of the reasons why I, why I, um, and I didn't, I was lucky enough that none of my calluses tore, but I think, um, people i think there's a bit of a correlation between grip issues and using straps yeah um and i i don't think it, it's it's more of a correlation between grip issues and using straps obviously if you're using straps on anything less than like a set of five you know then you're probably running into that issue um but something that like me and sean have talked about is is you know i i went to him after this prep or after this this meet and i was like okay you know no more straps he was like, I don't see an issue with you using straps, but instead let's add in heavy holds, you know, yeah. something that's going to put you in that stimulus mm. with a heavy load that you just hold for max time. Um, because at the end of the day, your, your hands are going to be fatigued when you're taking sets of eight, nine, 10 on deadlift, no matter what. And so your grip is almost expected to fail and you're not going to be able to get the same training stimulus if you don't use straps because you won't be able to hold the bar. Um, yeah. And so he was just like, don't worry about not using straps, you know, but let's, let's hold the bar, you know, let's actually at the top, hold it for as long as you can. I think one of the things that plays into that is like how you handle your volume. So um, yeah. for me, horrible at volume, my back downs are, you know, 70 kilos under my PR, like, yeah. like almost year round. Right. So I can't do shit with back downs. So, um, you know, if I could do a set of five at 90% or, you know, that's, bit too high but you know 
maybe maybe then I would need straps, but I just physically couldn't do that. And so, um, you know, if my back down's at 190, 200 kilos, it's just not that much that I need straps. I think if you're back downs and if you're a lifter who does a lot of volume in the lower percentages, then I think you can get away with not using straps like me. But I think, yeah, if they're, uh, you know, someone like you or um, anyone else that has like a back down with a higher percentage just because you simply can handle it and it works for you, so why not do it? Then I think you run into those issues of needing straps. And I think like if I was doing um, even the same percentage as you, then yeah, definitely needing straps. But I think there's a difference between someone who does light back downs without straps and someone who does really heavy back downs with straps. And they're, they're yeah. not really comparative. Like comparative. Yeah. I think they're completely yeah, different. I, thing. I completely agree. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was coaching. Obviously, you're a coach with the college. Yes. Um, how did yes. you get into coaching? And the uh, the opinion that I had for you was young coaches, um, are they not worth it? Are they worth giving a chance? And uh, what your opinion is on sort of young coaches, and I don't want to say without experience, but... Do you think you can be, you know, a teen and 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 be a really good coach? And I don't mean Nori, Joey level coaching, but like a good enough coach to help other beginners, help other intermediates? Or do you think it's just simply not something that you can do without, you know, getting into your 20s and getting even more experience? Yeah. Um, I'll start with how I got into coaching. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, had a dream of being a teacher since I think seventh grade you know i was really into teaching all of that kind of stuff and you know playing sports for the my entire life i saw my coach as a, a pseudo teacher um you know because that's that's what they are they, they do teach you things and so when i was in eighth grade my uh my football season in the fall was taken away from me just because not enough kids signed up hmm. and so we couldn't fuel the league because where i was we didn't have a middle school um or like a junior high uh, football team and so we were playing like a youth sports kind of thing and not enough people signed up and so instead I signed up and I coached a uh, U8 uh, team so eight and under I believe uh, is what that means and so at 14 years old I was going out teaching kids you know stuff coaching one-on-one -on -one, all that kind of stuff and then you know as I got through high school I, I fell in love with you know wanting to teach. Uh, I took a class where I would, you know, be student teaching on certain days for an entire semester. Um, and, and that's what I wanted to do as I got into college. Uh, obviously, you know, I wanted to teach high school English that didn't work out. Obviously, as I said, I, I'm a kinesiology major now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I made the switch just because I, I understood that, you know, English wasn't the, my, my tried and true love. Um, and instead, you know, fitness and lifting and, and, you know, exercise science was. And so I made the switch and I decided, Hey, you know, let's see if we can do anything teaching wise, you know, on this side of the ball. And what I ended up doing was, you know, starting to coach friends, starting to coach people that came to me. Um, and you know, I, I kind of fell in love with it, fell in love with learning, uh, not only with, you know, seeing them learn, but myself learning how to be a good coach. Um, you can go back and ask 
uh, two of the guys that are, that I'm still really, really good friends with. Um, I knew them in high school, my freshman year, I coached them. I was an awful coach, like terrible. I'll be the first one to say it. I was, I didn't respond, you know, sheets were going out very late. Um, updates were non-existent almost. Um, and, and, you know, obviously they left me for good reason. Um, but that was a learning experience that, you know, I had to be like, oh, wow, I, you know, this isn't just, an, this isn't easy. Mm. You know, this is something that, you know, you have to, you're almost a 24 seven act. You're almost at 24 seven access when you're a powerlifting coach, mm. especially remote, because, you know, you don't know when your client is training. So they might need, you know, a, a, a number suggestion or, you know, a, a warm up suggestion at 10 PM or, at, you know, 9 AM who knows? Mm. Um, and so that's something that I had to sit down and really, you know, soul search about. And I ended up, you know, going through it and coaching for free for two and a half years, um, almost three years until I decided to, uh, to start actually, you know, making money off of it. Um, Mm. and that's, that's definitely something that I, I definitely suggest to any new coach is doing it for free, because if you can't do it for free, then, $50, $75, $100. It's not going to change how you feel about it at the end of the day. It's not going to make you care more. I think if you go into it with doubts, then yeah, you need to be, because if you go in thinking, oh, you know, maybe I will be, maybe I'll do coaching. Maybe I'll just see how it is. Like then you're less inclined to be good because obviously if you have doubts, you doubt yourself, it's not as, you know, not, you're not going to be um, doing as well as someone who is a hundred percent, I'm definitely going to do it. You know, yeah. I think if, yeah. if you want to go into it and, and, uh, if you still have doubts, I think, well, I think a good thing, um, is if, as long as you have doubts about yourself, about what you want to do, keep it free. Like, uh, I think I see, you know, kids get a little bit of an, I don't know, I'm shouldn't use the word kids. I'm 19, but people get, um, a bit of, you know, a bit of internet, uh, attention and then all of a sudden they're doing coaching or they're doing yeah programs yeah. you know cookie cutter programs um and you can tell because it usually follows the spike in their audience so it's very obvious at least to me when someone is doing something for money they see an opportunity um and they're like oh you know perfect i could I, you know i've got a, a, my audience you know maybe i got on king of the lifts or something like that yeah and, and then all of a sudden they're coaching and it's like oh well i can you know, benefit of the doubt, maybe they, you know, maybe they just took the opportunity. They want to actually be a coach, but it's pretty transparent when you're just doing it because you've seen an opportunity for money. And I mean, I I can't give too much hate because that's what a lot of people do. They see an opportunity for, to make some cash and whatever it is, and they'll do it. So it's not specific to powerlifting, obviously. And I think if you have doubts in your capabilities, in your, you know, longevity, if, if, if you're going to pull out on your athlete, potentially don't be charging them because they're yeah. paying you. No, there's, there's no reason to. Yeah. So I think, I think you have to, and I'm completely biased because I am one of the people that I just asked you about. I'm a newer coach. I've been doing it for a year. Um, but I went into it knowing it's what I wanted to do. So, uh, I'm pretty sure kinesiology is relatively similar to what I'm studying, which is physiology. And I don't. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I went into the degree knowing I want to be a coach. So I have been certain from the start that it's what I wanted to do. Um, and I think, you know, I didn't come from any 
Instagram attention. I just started doing it with people that I knew. But I think, um, yeah, if you're unsure, then you probably don't have the right to ask people for money because you work, like I work for the people that I coach. I have like, you know, eight, 10 people and I work for all of them. So I, I don't see it the other way. I don't see it like um, they're paying me for my service. I see it as like, you know, I am getting paid to sort of, I'm, I'm, I've worded it poorly, but like they're my boss. I don't see it the other way around. Yeah. I don't see no, it like it's, I'm a it's almost like it, it's, no, that's exactly what it is, is you work for them. You literally yeah. work for them. Like they decide, you know, a lot of the stuff that goes on. Now, do they decide the numbers that you give them or yes. the days that they train, you know? Well, they can. Day to day, maybe. And, and some yeah. of my guys um, have showed me how much they control the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the end of the day, they do control everything, but, um, you know, suggested stuff. Let me rephrase yeah, myself. Yeah, exactly. Do they control the suggested numbers, the guidelines, the stuff like that, you know? No, but they control whether or not you're getting money. And so, or, or whether or not, you know, they're trusting you with everything. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's definitely something that, you know, I see a lot of younger coaches not able to understand is you're when, when you're coaching, you're not at the top, you know, you are at the bottom, you know, you are working for other people. Mm. Um, and so, you know, having that mentality is huge because not only will it make you uh you know able to understand and and relate better with your clients but it will also allow them to know that you know you're grateful and you know it's a, it's a sense of you know being uh I've worded this wrong now um but you know me, essentially me just being grateful being grateful for for them coming to you and trusting you mm. with their training because you know at the end of the day um I've seen this, I forgot who posted it. I wish I remembered, but you know, they said, you know, you have 10 clients, right? Mm. But your clients only have one, one coach. Mm. So, you know, you have to provide for them because you are controlling pretty much their entire career in powerlifting as their coach. So it's, it's a very daunting, but a very, very necessary task. I think, um, and that's a great way to look at it, uh, it is, you know, let's say me, 10 people, right? There's 10 of them. So it's, I got to give my attention. And although I give 100% attention to all of them, there's 10. But the other way around, there's just one of me, one of the people who are writing their programs and giving them exactly. advice and that sort of thing. And I think uh, having a coach who I really look up to, um, who I really respect and listen to and, you know, if, if I, let's say I think, oh, let's do maybe, you know, let's put in this accessory or let's do this. And he says, well, the, here's why I don't want you to do that. I say, fine. That's, you know, it's, if it comes down to me or his opinion, I'm going to trust his opinion. And so I think uh, having a coach who I really, you know, admire, like I said, has made me realize that I can be that for the people that I'm coaching. So I think, you know, let's say hypothetical, a lifter really looks up to their coach, et cetera. Um, they, they might not treat their athletes how their coach treats them. And at some point, they'll probably realize, oh, hang on, like, wow, that's how I see my coach. Maybe that's how they see me. 
And I think yeah. that's a necessary thing to realize. It's like what your coach is to you or your mentor is to you. That's what these guys are as well. Like they are seeing you how Absolutely. you probably see your coach and maybe not to the same standard, but in a, in a similar way, they look up to you the way that you look up to your coach. And, you know, let I, I'm nowhere near as good of a coach as my coach, this is probably confusing. Sorry. Um, I, I still think that in some way they probably look at me the same way I look at him. So it's like yeah. a necessary thing to realize that you do have big shoes to fill. You, you are trying to walk the same path that your coach does and you're less experienced or less informed. So it's, it's, you've got to realize like, um, you really do have a big impact on the people that you give advice to or, uh, you know, who, who are excited to get your programs on a Sunday night. And I think, yeah. um, you know, if I ever, you know, if I ever have a problem, I think how would my coach, you know, it's, because it's not, coaching is not just putting in the numbers. And as you would know, there's a entire aspect of it. that's communication yeah. Co and coaching is not coaching. just, it's yeah. It's not just writing, you Numbers, know, one yeah. by one at six, three by eight at seven. That's not what coaching is. Mm. That's writing a program. Yeah. If you want to just write a program, then sell it mm. for, you know, 50 bucks a pop. Mm. You can do that. People will, people will buy it, mm. but make sure they know that they're not getting the access to you, the communication, the tips, you know, Oh, this hurts today. Okay. Then do this. Mm, exactly. um, they're not getting any of that. They're just getting a one by one at six and a three by eight at seven. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, I think the whole communication aspect and the whole, you know, technique training or technique coaching, stuff like that, that's 90% of coaching. Mm. Programming is that top 10% where it's like, yes, it's very, very important, but, I think you'll get a lot more out of a coach that knows how to communicate than a coach that is good at programming. Dude, you've seen some of like, look at Evan Carter. That dude is so strong. So yeah, there is proof that you can get away with horrible programming. Yeah. Um, you know, weekly RP 10 singles, you can get away with it. You can, <laughs> you shouldn't. And like, hypothetically, you shouldn't get away with it. I mean, he's, he's on. also on drugs. So like, yeah. So stimulus he, is different. He can, he can, yeah. he can get away with it. Yeah. But I think like, um, that that programming is like you said as important as it is um i would rather go with a coach who treats me like an equal um than someone who treats me like less but is a better programmer so it's like yeah. I mean, it's 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 a respect I'm, I'm if you're i mean i can see why if you were super impatient you might go to the better coach who you know, sort of is a bit of an asshole if you were super impatient and sort of kind of naive almost. But I think once you come to realize like that it's such a long game and powerlifting is like a, a 10 year, 15 year sport yeah, minimum, it's yeah. like you're going to go with someone who treats you properly, someone who, you know, uh, I, I pride myself on the fact that I can respond to any of my guys in like five, 10 minutes at most because I'm, we do, I'm at uni, I do online uni. So, my phone if i'm watching a lecture and one of my guys texts me it's coming up on my screen it's going to be one of my priorities regardless of what i'm doing um yeah and i think you know because like you look up to these guys and i feel like um let's say you you kind of disappoint your coach like it's hot it's not a nice feeling like you overshoot or you you know whatever it's not a nice feeling so these guys are probably doing the same and they're oh like what's he going to say what's you know what advice he going to give me 
I hope I did the right thing kind of attitude. It's like, you got to play into that. You got to realize they genuinely care what I'm about to type. So maybe I should reword it. Maybe I should be, you know, not less harsh, you know, obviously be honest with them, but think about the way you say stuff and, and really treat them. It's, it's, it's it's, at the end of the day, it's always going to be treat them how you want to be treated and coach them how how you love being coached. It's a respect thing. I'll take a coach that respects me way over than way better than a coach that'll get me better numbers, but treats me like dog shit, mm. you know? Cause a lot, um, a lot, a big part of the sport, like to be honest, it's like a recreational sport. No, and yeah, it, I, it absolutely is. I don't, I know maybe three people in the USAPL or IPF that do powerlifting full time. It's like Ray Williams, which he's still, no, it's not even Ray Williams. Ray Williams is a coach at a, at, for a football team uh in mississippi so okay not even the top squatter in the world mm. does this full time yeah you know, this is a hobby and for a while it's gonna day. be i was talking to my coach about you know why we think it should be in the olympics obviously there's a bias but we're saying like <clears throat> powerlifting is so much more relatable than olympic lifting most people go yeah. to the gym and they do a bench press how many new gym goers do you see do a clean and jerk or whatever yeah. the exercise it's not as exciting to watch though Man, I've got I've I, there's a there's a our A and M weightlifting team. They train at uh, they train at Brazos Valley Barbell, mm. um, which is where we've been having to train because our facility has been due or has been closed due to COVID. Um, but they train there as well, and you know I'm watching them. I'm like that. It just looks so much cooler. Like, yeah, you think? If oh yeah, like being able to throw. Like I saw I watched a guy do 175 kilo clean and jerk. Yeah. I was like, uh, that's my bench. Three, yeah, no, literally. I was like, I took it for a bench single, mm. and then he took it for a clean and jerk. And I was like, yeah. you're throwing 386 pounds or 175 kilos over your head. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. I, but yeah. when it comes to being relatable, you know, people are going to see a squat, a bench, and deadlift, and they're going to be mm. like, oh, I can go to the gym and I can do that right now. Yeah. Not Dude, everybody can go to the gym and do a clean and jerk. I've been right training now. for three years. If I tried to do a clean and jerk, I would definitely my shoulder hurt would myself. snap off. My ankle, would my Achilles be... would snap. My shoulders <laughs> would snap off. Yeah, my t- yeah. you know, all of it. So it's like you have to, you know, you can go and anyone can do. And most people who have gone to the gym would do SPD. Like they've done yeah. it before in in some sort of way. And I think yeah, like. There's the impressiveness of like uh, Olympic lifting and then the relatability of powerlifting. But we said, you know, if a powerlifting meet was set up and we were saying, talking about how if Sheffield went ahead and it was well organized and, you know, let's say it's televised, uh, not not live, they, they put it on later and they cut it up so that it's really entertaining. They put up the big... Uh, you know, you know how in FIFA when you get a new card and the player comes up with all their stats? Yeah. They have that on the screen and, you know, music and different angles and all that sort of thing. They could make powerlifting so impressive. And I think Sheffield was going to be that break for powerlifting and not necessarily to get yeah. to the Olympics. But it's like, dude, why is water polo in the Olympics? Why? Like some of these sports that are like... <laughs> there's there's uh, speed walking. Speed walking. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, why the hell... like. 
obviously, you know, some of the sports in the Olympics require, like, say, diving. That's incredibly impressive. I'd yeah. say more impressive than any powerlifting stuff. But, yeah, there's stuff like walking, polo, like, synchronized it's... swimming or whatever. And it's like, who... I would never, ever watch that in the Olympics. If, if the Olympics are on, I'm watching. I'm going to watch the track and the field and some of the team sports, but I'm never going to watch something like that. And I think yeah. that's like the average person is probably not watching that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The, there's, the there's, there's so much stuff in the Olympics that's just like, I'll be sitting there because, I mean, when the Olympics come, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Everybody watches. You know, it'll be on in, in our house, you know, at all hours of the day. And I'll look at the TV and I'm like, oh, like, for example, like in the Winter Olympics, I'll look at the TV and I'm like, oh, shuffling or like, cur- yeah. what is it? Curling, curling. Yeah, dude. That's what it's called. But snowboarding like, is I, sick. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so it's just like, these two are completely opposite, but mm-hmm. they're in, they're regarded in the same way. Yeah, like if you look at someone hitting a half pipe snowboarding, and this is something that I took for granted. The half pipe, like it looks big on TV, right? Um, have you ever seen a real size half pipe in person? Like a like. Have a, you like, like skied on one? Just like been. Next I, to I haven't skied on one, but I've I've seen it. Mm. Well, we went to a ski trip, and I think we went to a small half pipe, and it is so much bigger than you could possibly it's, imagine. Yeah. If you That's haven't say, seen it in huge. person, it is insane. And it wasn't yeah. even a real size one. And I wasn't even going fast. We just went down it. I went about a third of the way up and I was shitting myself. And I've <laughs> snowboarded a couple of times. So like yeah. that sort of thing is like my appreciation for These guys are doing like quadruple backflips. Exactly. And they go so fast, like the air they get as well. So like there's a new appreciation for it. And I wasn't as impressed by it because I couldn't relate. I've been to a, a pipe now and I'm, I'm going to get to my point. I've been to a pipe now and I appreciate it so much more. And yeah. what I'm going to say is, you know, maybe p- more people would appreciate weightlifting if they had done it, but not many people realize how hard it is. Not many yeah. people realize that they probably can't move their body like that person on TV. But when it comes to SPD, it's so much more relatable. And although it might not be as impressive, even at a very top level, um, you know, like that big dude recently who's, I think he's snatched and whatever it is, 220. That huge, yeah, like, that was absurd. Gun. I mean, to me, that's more impressive than squatting, you know, like Ray does. Yeah. And I'm a powerlifter. So, you know, but people, people, it's like a higher number. People are probably going to be more impressed by it. You know, even if squatting is easier than cleaning and that's, jerking, it's like 490 kilos. That's more than 220 kilos. It must be more impressive kind of thing. Yeah, that's why I think because uh, it's already in the World Games. I think if it does go to the Olympics, it will be equipped lifting, um, just yeah, because it's it's so much bigger in Europe. Europe is still a huge like you know rods still kind of shit on over there. Mm. From what I've heard from guys that have competed internationally, the raw guys aren't taken seriously, but the equipped guys are like, okay, these are the guys that we're sponsoring you know, mm. our country is sponsoring to go, yeah. you know, these are the people that are going to be going. The raw guys are just kind of like thrown to the side. Yeah. Well, we, we might take you, who knows, mm. but the equipped guys are like, yeah, you know, we're going to go there because at the highest level you'll be competing at the world games, which is every three years. It's, it's almost taken as, as a, as an Olympic standard mm. event. Um, and so I, I do think it'll be equipped lifting. That'll see uh, the, the, the IOC, if anything, mm. 
and and yeah and as much as i don't care at all about equip lifting um and you know i might be one of the people who who unpopular opinion i don't care about quick lifting um yeah, but i was you know, the same way until i tried it kind of like how you were saying you know with the half pipe thing yeah yeah i i saw these guys putting on suits and putting on on knee wraps and everything and i was like ah it's easy throw it on but apparently it's really fine. hard oh it's the technique is insane especially to do it at a very very high level you yeah. know for me to go in and throw on a loose suit and some wraps and be able to do what I do, you know, some people may say that it's impressive, but to me, I'm like, okay, yeah, I I got to, you know, throw up X number. Um, I wasn't too impressed by it, but to do it at, you know, the world level where you've got guys like my roommate, who's a hundred, or I think he weighed in at 101 kilos and he squatted 375 and a half. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah, That's he huge. squatted almost he squatted almost a four times body weight squat. Mm. Um like 25 kilos off a four times body weight squat. You know, being able to know that technique is is insanely hard. Mm. I've heard the um, bench is the like the really hard one. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is. Cause squat, you can kind of just force yourself down there. Mm. You know, the only thing that you have to really do with squat is stay with your knees out. Um, because that's just how the suit works. It's a lot different than raw where you can kind of use your, your body's natural biomechanics with, you know, internal rotation and everything. Um, but the way the suit is built, you have to have your knees out. You have to Mm. be in forever external rotation. Mm. Um, you know, you can kind of force yourself down there, deadlift, same thing. As long as you can kind of grip the bar and, and get into a good position, you can lift it up. Um, but but bench trying to get that touch in a shirt yeah it looks it's crazy. so it's so tight and the bar you know you're having to load so much weight and it's so much pressure on your shoulders from the shirt mm. just being tight and then also the weight on top of that on your elbows and your shoulders and everything and the pressure that it builds in your head you know it's it's very 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 hard and it's it's easily the most technical of the three I bet, dude. Like, yeah, I saw a video recently of a, like a 200 whatever bench and it looks, honestly, it looks like so much harder to just get the, like even even when he's getting like an inch away from the touch, he looks like he's trying and then I think, oh, there's no way yeah. he's going to touch and then keep trying, keep trying and then they do get the touch and I'm like, holy shit, how did the hell And then it just, it, it goes poof, and yeah. they get up and then it, it like stagnates yeah. and then they get it. So like the elastic tension, like they, it gets them up and then it's like, requires that little bit more actual yeah. muscle rather yeah. than just the the end and, and lockout takes forever but yeah, yeah i mean i um gonna be honest like i just don't care about quick lifting at all but i think yeah i should just put a shirt on bench shirt on try it and i think it's gonna it's be the, the same it's scenario as the half pipe in the olympics it's gonna be like a newfound yeah. respect and and i just i don't know it it's it doesn't, I'm not going to say the word cheating to describe it, but I feel like um, it's just, you know, more impressive. You know, let's say the best raw squat versus the best equipped squat. I still yeah. find the raw squat more impressive simply because. Yeah, so do I, but yeah. I mostly compete raw. And so yeah. we're always going to have that bias. Yeah, of course. And I'm sure an equipped lifter would say the exact opposite. So it's just what exactly. you prefer at the end of the day. It's yeah. what you've done, what you know. And, and that's what you're going to go with. Yeah. 
absolutely um man i i honestly i've got to got to run and train and you know study the rest of the day um so we'll have to wrap it up yeah but, no, that's um, perfectly fine man yeah thank you very much for coming on and and congratulations again on your performance uh on the weekend uh i'm keen to that. see what do you have planned for the rest of the year uh i signed up for a meet in october already um i'm not one to sit around mm. I, I get too anxious and yeah. so i signed up for a meet in october and so you know i'll take this little off season this you know you know 12 16 maybe 20 weeks um and and see what me and sean can do and then from there on it's a warpath man mm. uh, i'm i'm getting my redemption because this weekend it it left uh it left a little bit you know left almost a hole in my heart where i was just like damn you know, i, I could have done yeah i've still got stuff to do you know there's i'm definitely not done in the sport and, that's a great um yeah that's that's what i mean like people get complacent you obviously haven't got complacent you know what what your potential could be at the end of the day and people tend to get a little bit like oh you know there's my national record i'm gonna chill now or i'm gonna like yeah yeah. you know focus on themselves too much like you got to realize there's other people there's that number yeah. two guy who is just as focused as you are he just started six months later than you did or whatever and it's like yeah so you know kill the off season man and good luck with everything um coming Appreciate up it. and and i'll probably you know, i'll definitely talk to you again before your next meet um but yeah if, if you know uh good luck in the off season and i'll uh catch you later man